So, Lord, that is our cry this morning as we start. That's our posture, our heart's posture right now, Lord. God, that we want to just surrender. We're going to raise our hands in praise to you and adoration to you, but also in surrendering, Lord, surrendering it all for you. So, God, just help us right in this moment to have an open hand, an open heart, an open mind to what you want to put into us today. Father, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's so good to have you guys here with us this morning. Uh, it's kind of an interesting thing. Thank you, Christian. Uh, it's a pretty interesting thing. Uh, Thanksgiving is uh, over. Black Friday is over. Cyber Monday is over. And I guarantee you, in fact, I promise you this, that somewhere during that time between uh, Thanksgiving to Black Friday to Cyber Monday, somewhere in the midst of that time, I guarantee you that the number one Christmas question was asked. There is one question that is the number one Christmas question. It's the question that Santa asks every time someone comes and visits him. It's the same question that every parent reluctantly asks and every child yearns to answer. What do you want for Christmas? What do you want for, Chris, for Christmas? In, in fact, there's a whole movie devoted to answering this one question. I want an official Red Rider carbon action 200 shot range model air rifle you'll shoot your eye out kid right I mean some of you like that's your movie like you watch it like it, I think it actually plays on repeat uh, on Christmas day like 24 7 like if you're that kind of fan you need a life but um <laughs> But for some of us, like, we think about this question. We think about this question as a parent. We think about this question as a kid. For some of us, even if you're the, one of the older people in the room, you probably remember the wish book, right? This was, I remember this copy of the wish book. This was Christmas 1998. And whether you were a parent or whether you were a kid during that time, I'm going to tell you, this is how we did Christmas, Right? The Sears wish book would come in the mail, and I hate to say it, but as a child, I would study that thing more than the Bible. I mean, I had that thing out. I was highlighting stuff, circling stuff, flipping down the pages. That thing got all kinds of use because we wanted, as kids, to answer the question, what do you want for Christmas? And it kind of changed over the years. I talked to my kids this weekend uh, or last weekend about what they were wanting for Christmas. And there is no, I guess Target still has a wish book. But you really want to know what they do? They grab the old phone. They know how to find it. Like they go to Amazon, type it in. My son wants a Batman submarine. I have no idea what that is. I've actually looked for it. There is no such thing as a Batman submarine. Um, <laughs> He also wanted a Superman airplane, and I had to explain to him that Superman doesn't need an airplane, but that's, that's what you have when you have a four-year-old. What do you want for Christmas this year? See, the American Christmas, the American Christmas tends to draw us into a me and my family-centered 
mentality. I want you to think about that for just a minute. And it's so easy for us to fall into this, right? Because the minute Thursday's over and we're fat off the turkey, Black Friday's on the way, and honestly, even now, these guys are getting to you like a week before Thanksgiving, right? The ads start showing up, and you find yourself as parents or as kids, you find yourself spending a lot of time looking at things for your kids and for you even. I was looking for a Christmas present the other day for my kid, and I wound up buying something for myself. Don't know how that happens. I'll tell you how it happens, actually. It's because the American Christmas tends to draw us into a me and my family-centered mentality. All of our plans tend to dictate around what we're doing as a family. All of our our shopping needs, all of these things kind of draw us into some of that. And so the question that we ask a lot is, what do you want for Christmas But it's a question we ask every year, and I would dare say, as believers, as believers in Christ, have we ever thought to ask a different question? Have we ever thought to ask a different question than just, what do I want for Christmas? Here's what I want to invite you into asking this Christmas with us here at Pleasant City Church. What does Jesus want for Christmas this year. Now, I know that sounds maybe a little kiddie when you think about Jesus, King of Kings, exalted uh, on his throne, reigning over the universe, to ask such a simple question, what does Jesus want this year? But I want us to think about this question for the next three weeks as we lead up to Christmas Day. And the first thing that I think Jesus would want for us this Christmas, want for himself this Christmas is this, that you would worship fully. It was our first point on the video, that you would worship fully. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Christmas is ultimately about worship. It's about worship, and Jesus knows this to be true. So I want to start this, this morning reading some of the most, like probably the most famous and familiar passage in all of the Bible when it comes to Christmas. The one that most people hear every year, probably several times a year. So it's, it's something you've heard before, but I want to read it here again. In verse 7, we're going to pick up the story a little later into the story, but in verse 7, Jesus is ready to be born. And he's born right here in verse 7 of Luke chapter 2. And she and Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, we know this story pretty well. We know, you know, Jesus being born. We also know about the shepherds. But I want us to kind of look at this in a, in a perspective here. This whole passage that we see and that we're going to continue to read is really all about worship. 
And worship is really this, these two points. And I'm going to give you the simple way of thinking about it and then the longer way of thinking about it. Worship is really about two points. That you are seen and that you see. Worship is about the fact that you are seen and that you see. That you see. Think about what we just did here just a minute ago in the context of this small, simple definition. It's the appreciation that you are seen by God. Worship is the appreciation that you are seen by God. Think about these shepherds. Like this is probably, and we've said this probably every year, but this is the most least likely group to announce this information to. To have this kind of revelation of angels showing up Like the glory of God. This is the most least likely group in all of Israel to hear about God. And this is the thing that we, like when we think about ourselves, this is where like worship really hits its high. Because for a lot of us, when we're worshiping God, really what we're doing is we're showing him appreciation that he would even look on us. Right? I mean, that's really what we think about when we think of worship. John, 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That, that, that's the good news of Jesus. Not that we have loved God so great, because let's be honest, almost every one of us, every one of us in here hasn't really done a great job of loving God. But here's the truth, that Jesus, in spite of all of our sin, all of our fault, all of our condemnation, in spite of all of that and who we are, Merry Christmas, Jesus loves us. And that we may literally turn like an inch to God, but God has been pursuing us for miles and miles and miles. That long before we ever thought about Christmas, long before we ever thought about worship, or or even had a conception of any of that, Jesus was making a way on our behalf. And every time we gather to worship, every time you're singing a song in the car, every time we're in this place, every time we're thinking about God, part of our worship is just appreciating that God has come for us, that we, that we are actually seen by God. And this is what we see with the shepherds. Verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, a lot of times as Christians, we read this, this uh, little story here, and I think we, f- we forget and we miss. Could you really truly get your head around this scene? Like something that you would have never, like nothing, the best thing you've ever seen. Like Grand Canyon, wherever you've been in the world, Victoria Falls, where, like it doesn't matter. The greatest thing you've ever seen, your children being born. Your bride on on the wedding day. As great as all of those moments are, there's nothing that would even come close to this moment for these shepherds. 
And this is the second part of worship. Not only the appreciation that we're seen by God, but also the awareness that we see the glory of God. The awareness that we see the glory of God. That worship is not just, wow, thanks for saving me, really appreciate that, God. No, worship is also, look how glorious you are. Look how magnificent you are. Worship is not just about us and what we've gotten out of it. It's not just about thanking God for that. It's also looking at God for who he is, his holiness, his power, his might, his omnipotence, his omnibenevolence, every bit of that, looking at that and saying, looking at him and saying, you are glorious. You are wonderful. You have captivated my heart and my attention. And this is what worship looks like. It's thankfulness. It's adoration. It's appreciation. It's an awareness of God's presence with us. Verse 15, when the angels went away from, into, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went, look at the two words here, and they went, with haste, hurriedly, quickly, they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. You see, true worship creates an urgency in us that goes far beyond leaving church with a smile on our face. It goes far beyond that. It's an urgency that causes us to put everything else in our lives into perspective. The urgency for these shepherds at this moment was not, let's go check in on the sheep, right? It's like, oh, wow, we've seen this amazing thing. Let's go see what the sheep are up to. That's not the picture we have here, right? The text kind of lends us to think that these shepherds moved with haste. They forsook their livestock, their possessions, their stuff, because they found something, namely someone that was far more valuable. Verse 17, and when they saw the place, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Priorities for the shepherds change. I wasn't, it wasn't about sheep anymore. It was about giving. Namely, look at what they're giving. They're giving the news of Jesus to others. These are the first people to share the good news of Jesus to others. Think about that for just a minute. The first people, like if you want to say, hey, who's the first evangelist in the New Testament? It's these guys. It's these shepherds here in this question, in this story. And here's the thing: we are called to do likewise. That when we look at what Jesus desires. This Christmas, his wish for us is that we would worship fully and also that we would spend less and give more. That we would maybe spend less and give more. Think about those shepherds. They forsook their possessions for a time. They forsook their sheep, their job for a time to go and pursue 
what God cared about. And they weren't the only ones. Look at verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Now that's an interesting word choice. And it's kind of weird because we have this whole story about the shepherds. And then 19 interjects with just this one little thing about Mary. And it's, she uses the word, or, or God uses the word in this passage, the word treasured. But Mary treasured up all these things. Really? Like, think about that. Mary treasured up all these things. She's, she's treasuring, we're, we're going to treasure the stable. We're going to treasure that, right? We're going we're to treasure the animals and all of the stuff that they have coming out of them. We're going to treasure the long ride on a donkey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. We're going to treasure these things. We're going to treasure uh, labor, we're going to treasure this stuff? Mary's treasure was in the eternal, not the temporal. Mary's treasure was in the eternal, not the temporal. And here's how I know that you're able to do this as well. Because for some of us, we've had bad Christmases, right? We've had like times that have just been tough. Last Christmas was that for our family, uh, our, our whole family got sick. Like, we were COVID positive. It was awesome. And uh, we couldn't go anywhere as a family. And uh, we literally, the night before we were supposed to get on a plane to go to California, plane tickets and all bought, we literally had to stop the trip right then and there. And I'll be honest, that was a tough Christmas for my wife. It was a tough Christmas for my kids. And for me, um, I'd already put the Christmas tree up. Yeah, that's right. I'm that guy. I put the Christmas tree up because I knew we were leaving. I didn't want to come back to a Christmas tree. So I'd already put all the ornaments, all the Christmas tree. I'd already put it away back in the attic that day before. And now we've got no decorations in the house. So I remember getting up at like 5 in the morning to go get the Christmas tree down and putting it all back up before Christmas started. But I'm going to tell you, it was a tough Christmas for our family and each one of us have Christmases like that but here's the truth I think back on that Christmas and there are things me and Crystal talked about this there are things about that Christmas that we have treasured in our hearts why not because of all the temporal circumstances going on because of the eternal things that God was doing in our family and in our hearts during that time this is the same thing we see with Mary. Mary's treasure was in the eternal, not the temporal. Jesus would later say this, Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also here's the truth our treasure what we spend our money on at Christmas is an indicator of what is in our hearts it's an indicator of what is in our hearts Last week, we ended our worship gathering showing a video getting ready for this week. 
And uh, the number, if, you, if you're like really paying attention, I know some of you might be this person. I'm not normally this person, but I just know. But the video we showed last week uh, showed that Americans spend $450 billion on Christmas a year, uh, 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 worldwide, right here. Christmas spending every year, $450 billion. Now, those of you that are super observant know that we had a different number this morning on the screen. And here's the reason why. Because the video I showed you last week was seven years old. You know what the video said this, this week? The current spending for us yearly is now over $1 trillion. In seven years, we've more than doubled our spending on Christmas. Is this, let me ask the question, based on what we see here, is this what Christmas is about? Is it about the money? And here's the sad news of it all. And I'm just going to tell you, I know this is like super serious, super fast. And I'll be honest, as I was putting this together, I was so convicted by this. So this isn't just you. This is all of us together feeling this together. But here's the sad news of all of this. That every minute, every 60 seconds, 21 children die of malnutrition. 21. In fact, we probably have about 150 over in Clubhouse right now. That means in eight minutes, that number gone. It would take eight minutes for our kids to be wiped out by that. Malnutrition. 21 die every minute. And here's where it really starts to hit us. Most statistics, most research says that to end world hunger would take a, a whopping $40 billion. See that right here? $40 billion world hunger. Every 20 seconds, someone dies from a preventable water-related illness. That all over the world, there are people that are fighting, striving, spending the majority of their day. I've seen children do this, carrying water jugs to their home from the river. They pour the water in, they drink the water, and they die. All that work... For nothing. These are preventable diseases that we're dealing with here. Every 20 seconds, someone dies from a preventable water-related illness. And here's the thing. To fix the problem worldwide, worldwide. And here's the thing. I want to just say this. Like, we know it's more than just money. It's people getting activated. But can we just imagine for a minute, if we did have the money, how much of a dent we would put in these problems? But to fix clean water for everyone in the world, they've estimated that at $150 billion, right up there. That's what it would take. Currently in the world, there's anywhere from 27 to 49 million slaves in the world right now. That's more than any other time in history. In fact, it would shock you, but you can literally drive 30 minutes that way to Freedom Drive, right in Charlotte, that's a main hub street for human trafficking. Right here, Freedom Drive, Charlotte, North Carolina. 27 to 49 million slaves right now that have no say in anything in their life. Nothing. 
they've estimated, this kind of shocked me, I thought it would be a lot higher than this, but they've actually estimated that to free all of those slaves, to give all of them their freedom, would actually only take $19.6 billion. I know that's really hard in the back to see that little dot there. $19.6 billion. To put it in perspective, uh, America spends $61 billion on pets every year. Last thing, the most important thing. There are 3 billion people in the world right now that have never heard the story of Christmas. They've never even heard of Jesus. They're going to be born in a village somewhere. They're going to live their lives. They're going to have a wife. They're going to have children. And then at the ripe old age, they're going to die and they will have never heard of Christ. Not only will they have never heard of Christ, they would have never known a single person that could even tell them about Jesus. Three billion people. These are very difficult estimates to come up with, but the most outlandish estimate that I've heard, actually contacted the Joshua Project, they do a lot of work with uh, reaching the unreached, the most outlandish number I heard, and again, it's more than money, it's people, it's resources, I get that. The most outlandish number that was given was $100 billion to spread the gospel all to all people groups, all 6,700 people groups, it would take $100 billion. Fractions of what we spend a year in one month. Now, I know how you're feeling right now because I feel the same way. I, I promise I'm not trying to shame you or your children or your Christmas. I'm not trying to shame my Christmas. I, I bought some Christmas presents this week, and I'm certainly not telling you to send Fido to the pound, okay? But here's the premise, and here's the point of what we're saying. What if we just spent less? on things that don't ultimately matter? What if we just spent less on things that don't ultimately matter? And lay up the same treasure Mary and these shepherds had, an eternal treasure of knowing and sharing that God is with us. That Christmas is ultimately about spending less on you and yours and giving more to Jesus and his kingdom. And this is where we conspire against this consuming culture of one trillion dollars in spending. It's where we conspire against that to say, no, that's not the way that we as believers are going to choose to live and spend our entire Christmas. That giving your money, giving your time, giving your plans and your dreams to God, this is what Christmas is about. And think about what the Lord could do with someone that lives their life like that. My name is Annie Luckadoo, and I serve as a missionary in Colombia, South America. When I was younger, God called me to himself, and I decided to trust Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins and to follow him. God is calling people all over the world to himself. 
The Bible says in Revelation that one day there will be a great multitude from every language, people, tribe, and nation that know and worship Jesus Christ. But today, there are billions and billions of people who have no idea who Jesus is or what he did for them. And how will they know if nobody tells them? A missionary is somebody who goes to different people in different places to share about who Jesus is, how much he loves us, and how to follow him. It's important that this is always in connection with the local church. It might mean doing missions across town in a different neighborhood, but for a lot of missionaries, it means going to different countries where they might speak a different language, eat different food, wear different clothes. When Jesus was on earth, after he died and rose again before he went back into heaven, he left his followers with a command. And this command was to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that Jesus had commanded. His disciples were obedient, and that's how we know about the gospel today. God calls all of us to have a role in furthering His kingdom, and He can use anything He's given you to be a part of His mission, as long as we're available. A couple years ago, I said yes to God. I held up my hands and I said, Lord, everything I have, everything that I am, take and use however you see fit for your mission. And He brought me here in Colombia to serve as a missionary full-time, right here at the border of Venezuela, and these are actually the Venezuelan mountains behind me. I hope that you'll say yes to God's mission as well and look for ways that he might want to use you. I promise it will be There's a young adventure. lady in our church, and, uh, and, and she really took seriously the command of God. She took seriously this idea that it's not just about spending life on her and her own agenda, but putting that forth to God. It's more than money. It's holding open hands to God and saying, everything I am and everything I have is yours. And this is what God desires for us this Christmas. Maybe not necessarily going to Columbia, but living a life where everything we have is God's. Verse 20, look at what Jesus said, or look at what Luke says here in the Gospels here. And the shepherds, after seeing all of this, after doing all of this, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. It's interesting that the epilogue of the shepherds, it doesn't say they immediately moved to India to tell people about Jesus. It doesn't say that, does it? It says they returned. Returned to what? They returned to what they knew. Yet these men were changed. They weren't the same shepherds as before. They had been seen by God. They saw his glory and it changed them. A reaction of true worship doesn't mean you have to move to Columbia like Annie, but it should change you. It should create within you a heart for the things of God that God has a heart for as well. So what would Jesus like this Christmas? The last thing, that you would love all. That you would love all. It's more than just trying to love that crazy cousin at your dinner, Christmas dinner get-together. It's more than loving that mean waiter in the restaurant, although all of those are true. It's also loving people that you have never met before. It's loving people that Jesus created and loves. Last week I was reading in my, in my room, and in the fireplace room, and I looked up and I already set the manger up in my house. And I noticed that something was off at the, on the manger scene. 
And it wasn't because the wise men were in there. I know some of you are like crazy about that. You put your wise men on the other side of the road or other side of the, the house because you don't want them in the scene. I get that. wasn't that. It was this. Somebody had taken my manger scene, and I like to have everybody kind of focus towards Jesus. I think a lot of y'all do that, right? You focus everybody in the manger scene towards Jesus. And one of my kids had come over here with my shepherd and turned them out. And if you know, I'm a type A personality. That got on my nerves so bad. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there, and I'm trying to read, and I can't concentrate. And I'm trying to get up, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting up out of my seat to literally take this little guy and turn him back in. And this thought just hit me. And he's still like that on my manger scene right now. And here's the thought that hit me. Seeing the wonder of Jesus should shift me from an inward focus to an outward focus. And this is what we see with the shepherds. They didn't stay sitting at the manger the entire time. There comes a point in the shepherd's life and in your life that we don't longer just sit at the manger the whole time. That I'm on mission to tell others about the Christ child who has come to save them. And you're on mission too. That this picture of this shepherd, when I look at him, I'm thinking, he is on mission. He has left the manger scene to go and to tell people about Jesus. That if we love God most, we will love others best. That if we love God most, we will love others best. That through our actions, our words, our giving, people will be reminded that they are loved by the creator of the universe and he has not forgotten them. 1 John 4, 19 says that we love because he first loved us. We radically love others because we have personally experienced the radical love of God. And that changes our hearts and changes the way we celebrate Christmas, that the meaning of Christmas is not found under a Christmas tree, it's found within our hearts. And here's the truth for a lot of us, and this is kind of how I want to close us down this morning. Living here in America, the good old South, most of us, not all, most of us are going to get what we want for Christmas this year. For a lot of parents, it's just seeing your kids happy. That's, that's me. That's one of the things I love. Most of us are going to get what we want for Christmas this year, or at least some variation of that. But here's the question. Will Jesus get what he wants for Christmas? Will Jesus get what he wants for Christmas? What does Jesus look like, or excuse me, what does Christmas look like for a lost and dying world? These are the two questions I really want you to leave with today. Will Jesus get what he wants for Christmas? And what does Christmas look like for a lost and dying world? See, I look at these two questions and I see there's a connection between them. There is a connection between them. And so really the application and the response this morning is this little guy right here in your seat. If you can, go ahead and pull this out. This is for you. I want you to take this home with you. We're going to have someone refill them, so don't worry about taking one and uh, losing out on someone else. Everyone grab one of these. Put it in your hand. This is what we call a gift guide. 
It's very similar to the wish book that you had when you were a kid. We have three weeks to do something with what's in your hand right now. This gift God gives you an opportunity to give towards God's heart for what he is accomplishing all over the world with our own mission partners. It's really, effectively, it's God's wish book. These are opportunities to see where God is already at work and join him in that work. We already saw what God is doing with Annie through Columbia. She's one of our partners in this book. Next week, we have the opportunity to see what God is doing through Compassion International. I already have children that have come in. We've got, we've got several kids uh, that are going to be here next week. Like Their packets are going to be here waiting for someone, really, truly, to help rescue them out of the poverty that they find themselves in. Not just physical poverty, but spiritual poverty. That's next week. And even right now, I want to take a moment to invite uh, my good friend Daniel Rice to come up. He's one of our partners in the book, and I want him to share a little bit about what God is doing through his ministry in a way that we can partner with you, spend less, and give more to what God is doing. So, Daniel, tell us just a little bit, real quick, about your ministry. Um, Our ministry is Jim Rice Ministries, and our vision, our heart, is that we would touch and reach people everywhere with the good news of Jesus Christ. And we do this, we want to go deeply in it by uh, developing, investing, building up uh, people into uh, world-impacting disciples. We want to see that multiplied and multiplied through um through, through world-impacting disciples. Yeah. That's what we do. What have you seen God do recently this year in your ministry? Uh, recently, God's done a great, great work, uh, Jonathan. Um, he's, we, we, we've, we've been working a lot with Jamaica, of course. Uh, we've had teams in our church that have gone to Jamaica. Um, and we have spent time with a couple um, their, their, their name are, is, is Corrado and, and Tamika uh, McKenzie, and, and we have been, been spending time with them um, uh, since we, we've had COVID. We've, we've been, been doing it online, Zoom and WhatsApp and such, and we've been able to spend time with them and, 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 and disciple them. And, and the cool thing is two people from our church have done a lot of that, and one person, uh, the two people are Rod Harrell and, and Denise Sloan, and they've spent time, uh, Denise with Tamika, and um, Rod with, with, with uh, Corrado, and they've met, they met them in person, but also they met them, they continue to meet them weekly on a regular basis online, and so that's, that's one great thing, and just recently, I, 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 we went on mission again in the uh, summer, and we were able, I was able to meet a, a, a young man named Maxwell, who we've been spending time with, and, and I've been online spending time with him on a weekly basis, and God's done great work there, but uh, because of, uh, uh, because of um, uh, COVID, we weren't able to go to Uganda. I've been speaking into uh, uh, young, young uh, men and women there. But uh, on a weekly basis, we do that as well. We spend time with uh, 
uh, these Ugandan young uh, men and women, and um, a few of them are George Mukisa, a, a young man who has a, such a heart for the Lord, and we, 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 we go through the Word together, go through God's Word together, and he asks a lot of questions, and he even comments on things that he hears in God's Word, which are really cool. And uh, so many others, uh, I can bring them out to you, David and, um, and Prisca Okadi from um, uh, God's worked in them, and, and, and we've seen uh, God work uh, greatly in, in, in their lives and, 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 and just numerous other young, young men and women. And then just, and then of course through this church, God allowed me the opportunity to speak into uh, some pastors in India, which has been great, uh, Jonathan. So, um, so we 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 speak into Jamaica, Uganda, and India, and uh, we're looking to go this year, this coming year, um, to Uganda. And India in person, and 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 get to see them in person, which is a, is awesome this year. But and and also at Jamaica, we're going to continue to do that. So awesome, man. yeah. Well, and and what we've uncovered, and this is really something we've noticed, Daniel, is the need for Bibles among a lot of these new disciples. And uh, for sake of time. Uh, we don't have a, a lot of time to talk about this, but I just want to thank Daniel for being up here. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. And uh, I, you see right there in your gift guide an opportunity for you to give towards putting Bibles in the hands of some of these new disciples. Our goal is 150 Bibles. And so this is just one way, one ministry that you can give to, one ministry that you can be a part of. So this thing right here is a different kind of of wish book. It's an opportunity for everyone and anyone who wants to get involved to get involved. From the wealthiest CEO to the eight-year-old with an allowance, God can use this in your life this Christmas season. This idea that we have, this, one, this is one way we can conspire against our consumption culture and invest meaning into our Christmas that goes far beyond the shelf life of a plastic toy. It's six opportunities to worship fully, spend less, give more, and love all. Now here's the truth, and we know this. This doesn't have everything in it. There's so many things that you could put to this. There's so many opportunities and avenues that you could share in, but here's where we're at. We believe that this gives us an opportunity to make a global impact this Christmas as a church. To show the world that hope has a name, Emmanuel, God with us. So here's what I'm going to ask you with every head bowed and every eye closed. What is your Christmas going to look like? We know you're probably going to get what you want for Christmas. But will Jesus get what he desires this Christmas? Will you worship fully? Will you spend less? Will you give more? Will you love all? Or will it be the way it's been? We believe God wants to use this guide in your life this holiday.
to remind us of what the true meaning of Christmas is all about. So let's conspire together as a church. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We ask that you would just help us be obedient this Christmas, that these next three weeks, man, God, you would speak to our hearts and that we would be obedient through your word. In Jesus' name.